My name is Justin Gage, and you're tuned in to the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions Podcast with your host, Jason Woodbury. Welcome to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. We're so glad to have you here with us here once again. And if you are new to the show, hello, welcome. Thanks for giving a new podcast a shot. I know you have a lot of options when it comes to what you can listen to, so you choosing to tune in and try something new with us is beyond appreciated. That goes doubly for our return listeners, of course, loyal transmissionaries one and all. Thanks so much for being here. This week on the show, a conversation I taped with Hopeton Overton Brown, better known as Scientist. As a protege of dub pioneer King Tubby, Scientist represents Dub's third generation. At least that's how his 1981 collaboration with King Tubby and Prince Jammy, first, second, and third generation puts it. Originating in Kingston, Jamaica, Hopeton earned his nickname from Bunny Lee due to his highly complex mixing skills. Bunny was watching him work and famously opined, damn, this little boy must be a scientist. These days, he is living in Los Angeles where he taped his side of the episode for transmissions. We cover a lot of ground in this chat, a lot more than I even expected to. Not only do we explore his origins at studios like Channel One and Tough Gong, but we get into some far out and unexpected zones. I'm talking divine messages, aliens and angels, simulation theory, his suspicions when it comes to modern cannabis strains, the digital versus analog debate, and a whole lot more. Scientist has been on our dream list of guests for some time, so I'm really excited to share this episode with you. After Aquarium Drunkard founder Justin Gage saw him out at Woodsis Fest last year, he was like, we've got to get him for the pod, and I'm so glad that we were able to. This is the fourth episode of our ninth season, which kicked off a month ago with Michael Shannon and Jason Narducci, continued with a check-in with Don and Jason from the Lou Reed archives, and uh, rolled into last week's chat with Ty Seagal. We've got plenty more great ones in the hopper too, and of course, a lot you can check out in the archives. So if you dig Aquarium Drunkard transmissions, please consider supporting Aquarium Drunkard in general via Patreon. That's how this show gets funded, as well as the rest of Aquarium Drunkard. So if you dig it, head over there and kick a couple bucks a month our way, and it goes a long, long way. I am endeavoring to spend a lot less time online these days, and I suspect that many of you are doing the same. But um, if you want to get in touch, the best way to do it is to go ahead and email me. It's jasonpwoodbury at gmail. You can find all of the Aquarium Drunkard contact list over at the site as well. I really like hearing from listeners. So if you have a thought or a comment or a question or a suggestion for a guest or a suggestion for a guest you'd like to hear return to the show or whatever, uh, feel free to drop me a line. I do my best to respond to everybody. I can get a little overwhelming, but uh, send me a message. I love hearing from listeners especially. Okay, uh, the preamble concluded. Let's get into it. Here is Scientists on Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. Thank you. 
thank you so much. Uh, do folks normally call you scientist when you're doing interviews, or do they call you Hopeton or Overton? What what do people call you? What do you like? <laughs> well, Hopeton, it depends. Hopeton is my American name. Overton right. is my anybody who know me growing up in from kindergarten, and then yeah. scientist is professional. So, um, I, yeah, hope, I, I, hope that <laughs> be fine. I, I, just introduced as a scientist, Hopeton Brown, and then yeah, we can yeah. carry from there. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being with us here on the Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions podcast. It's great to have you. The scientist nickname, you know, I know I've heard stories that it came from. Bunny Lee, uh, I've heard that King Tubby came up with it. What's the real story? Who started calling you scientist first? Bunny Lee. Yeah. Yeah. What What was he referring to? I had saw that one story was, of course, just your proficiency with the mixer seemed scientific, but then I've also heard references to the high science or necromancy. Do you remember? Well... <laughs> Everything you see happening now with the digital age, including in-ear monitor, yeah. mixing feeder, moving feeder mixers. When I was a kid, I, in, I envisioned, envisioned all of that, unlimited track. But, you know, back in the 1970s, you <laughs> right. didn't even have the type of computers we have. So it was like, damn kid, you're smoking too much weed, man. That shit is driving <laughs> you crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's funny. So it's so, stuck from that time. Yeah, did you like the nickname? Uh, sometimes, you know, some people misinterpret you and believe when you're forward thinking that you're, you know, some people stare at, what do they call it, stereotypical. And yeah. um, so it depends on how it's been applied because some people might look at you like, wow, you're this guy on this high cloud. Um, right. So it depends how how it's been applied. That's why we had that conversation earlier. Right, right. Well, I like, I mean, I've always liked it, and it looks good on record covers, that's for sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, but for me now, in the, um, if I just go in along my daily basis, um, I don't like that because we say scientists like in the street, everybody look around like, who is this yeah, right. yeah, so um, uh, I'm a very low-key person. I don't like too much attention like that. Sure, sure. That makes sense. That makes sense. You know, I think about, speaking of album covers, you know, and the idea that maybe there was a, uh, a, a sort of a, a, an allusion to necromancy with that nickname, as at least one thing said. I was thinking about the album cover you know, scientists rids the world of the curse of the evil vampires. Uh, so many of your album covers are dynamic and feature these pop culture scenes, you know, horror movies and sci-fi, aliens and all that stuff, zombies. Did you ever have input on the album covers? Did you get to suggest what you wanted to see on some uh, of those classics? Some of them um, would scribble notes on the, on the box, the yeah. two track and then it influenced different ideas sure sure I, you know i think about your the kind of music that you are known for dub is so impressionistic and i found myself as i was i went back and i listened to lots and lots of your music to get ready for this and i just bounced around there's so much of it so that's actually a good first question proper you're very prolific, even though you said you're low key. You're always seeming to put out new work. What's the key to what's the secret? How do you keep making art over and over and keep making all this new stuff after so long? Well, here's what, man. We don't really invent anything. Ah. Right. No one really invented everything. Everything is from the earth. Right. And I come to the conclusion that we all been programmed. Oh yeah, that's interesting. That so does that mean you don't believe in free will? Um, to a certain dimension, the, the, to, to a certain degree, yes. But here's what: well, I invented the Hubble telescope, or right. I invented a 
a, a, a airplane. Okay, well, the first type of airplane known to man was a bird. Mm-hmm. Right, he didn't create that. So that's where that came from. Well, I invented a submarine. Well, he didn't really invent that also because um, that's model of our wheel. Yeah, yeah. As a forge. So it helped me to come to the conclusion that we all been programmed and we are just the receiver of yeah. whatever, whatever is out there. Yeah. Why choose me? I don't know. I, it could have choose you, anybody else, but for whatever reason, it choose me. So all that is a confirmation to me that we have been programmed and some of us been given this divine gift to do these things. And, you know, divine energy is unlimited. Yeah. Did you feel like that when you first got started? Did you feel like that, um, that, that to some degree, the ideas were flowing through you, not necessarily coming from you? Was that pretty early on? Did you feel that? Um, no, I know. Because you say, um, before I got into music um, and hanging out with the wrong set of people, if God didn't come into my life, that would have lead me down the tube. And I ah. don't think I'd be so lucky to be sitting here talking to you or be the type of person. And um, I was hanging out with those people, but, you know, those people positioned themselves around me. And, you know, when you're growing up as a kid, you like what you see happening in America here now. You have this peer pressure with uh, with all these different gangs. I was never, ever involved with any gangs, to mm-hmm. be clear. But you have these people who, some of them is gang-affiliated, and they want you to induct you in their Hall of Fame to do things that's not right. So um, I got an awakening. Right, that I must quit hanging around those people because when I see the, the track record of all those people who was not in jail, who didn't went to prison, end up in the morgue. So I didn't want to be one of that number. So um, here comes music. And after that, I got a different awakening. Yeah. When you talk about an awakening, was there a single moment where something changed or was it more like a gradual thing? Um, in a way, it was kind of gradual. But to be direct, I remember one morning I woke up and I heard like this loud voice talking to me, um, saying basically, hey, you need to stop. Don't break those people around you. Stop going to places with those people. And I heard like this loud voice talking to me. And... I thought I was crazy, getting crazy. And then I felt like I'm being literally electrocuted. Yeah, interesting, interesting. And, and, and after that, I was just a changed person. I have no desire to go hang out with those people. No desire to hear their stories. And I've been mouthed, I've been teased. Oh, you're this, you're that. Hey, come with us. Nope, I don't want to go in the car with you people. Yeah. So from what, that time I've changed into the music. What was what age was that? I was about 15, 16. So your father was an electrician, right? He repaired uh gear and, and worked on amplifiers and transformers and all of that stuff, is that right? Yeah. He was into electronics, yes. So when you talk about it it feeling like electricity, that immediately makes me think about how you took after his skills too. You were able to work on equipment and electronics. That was an interest of yours? Um, yes. Um, I myself taught electronic engineer. And a little bit after 16, we were, me and my friend Michael Clark, we were experimenting with like with walkie talkies. Oh, can we make this thing um, transmit further? Average walkie talkie, probably a half mile or something like that. But yeah. Like, Y'all are up to like 500 milliwatts. So um, you let's use this walkie-talkie and build a final stage for the antenna to drive to boost the, um, for, um, the antenna drive the antenna higher, so harder, so we can transmit further. So we start experimenting with building 
radio transmitters. Yeah. Okay. Was your did your dad help you? Did he see what you were doing? What did he no, think? No, no, he had passed along before before all of that. I see. I see. I see. So, how did you start working on equipment there at King Tubby's studio? And and that was a few, just a few years later, right? Um, several years later, he passed when we were really young. Okay. Right. Right. So when did you when did you start to get in with King Tubby, and how did that relationship begin? Well, it it began through a friend named Andrew, who was doing a welding job at Tubby's. If you if you look at the house where they had a studio, those grill I had a friend in Harborview that was putting up those grills. So after I, I got introduced to to Tubby's roots of dub by my friend Michael Clark, which became all of us favorite test album when we were testing an amplifier. Um, my friend Andrew told us that he was doing this welding job at Tubby's. And I, oh yeah, yeah, let carry me up there, carry me up there, I wanna go with you, I wanna go with Saki up there. And, um, you know, as a youngster, um, dealing with a man, well-known electronic engineer like Tubby, it was like a dream come true. So Andrew pretty much introduced me to King Tubby. And I, you know, as I said, I was up there picking his brains, talking about all this stuff, and they all think I was crazy at that time. <laughs> Did you tell him about the uh, the voice in your head? No, uh, I only <laughs> shared that with a few people, like thirty, forty years after. Yeah, <laughs> if I told them that, for sure they would have said yes. I know this friggin' crazy. crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that's such an interesting, you know, uh, it's so interesting that you obviously, when you, well, I wonder what it was like when you first heard Dub. Uh, I mean, obviously King Tubby and, and, and others helped popularize and create this new art form. What did you think when you first heard Dub music? Um, pretty much the same thing that most people hear in uh, it's different from everything else. It's exciting, it cause it sparks the imagination. How did they do this? Yeah. And so me and my friend Michael Clark was thinking, how could we build a console? So I kind of wanted us to go to a studio to see if all our theories was right. And when I went to King Tubby, I then realized, well, then this is not like a one-man job business. It takes a little bit more than what you were thinking about. Right, right. It, it, you thought that it was you thought that it was just one person or something like that. Um. Well, yes, we didn't know about tape machines, and you know, we know the a mixer, what a mixer is, and EQ. That's kind of kind of on the basic side. But, you know, like tape machines, the NAB um, equalization and so forth and so forth, how, how the monitors have to be set up for them to be accurate. Right. Um, right. Acoustic and all of that. So it was a little more that than what we were thinking about as just people building amplifiers. It's the same electronics, but you have to now learn that side of it. Yeah. I mean, I think about when... I first heard dub music, the echoes, the way it bounces around, the stereo panning, riding the faders, all of that stuff. Oh, yeah, especially when you're smoking weed. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it just it's mind blowing, right? It completely shifts your your headspace. And of course. And to me, that's just so like, you know, I had no idea how those sounds were being made. And so it's interesting that you wander into the studio and then you realize, okay, there's a lot that goes into making these sounds. Um, how did you get started making your, your own dubs? Um, well, um, they had a certain individual that was um, very unreliable. And after watching King Tubby, and Pat Kelly, um, I was telling them, hey, Thomas, I can't do that to you. I can't do that. That was my aim, really, after being in the, the technician shop, you know, winding transformers, 
and building amplifiers. Hey, Tubby's I can fix that. Oh no, stick to repairing TV. That's no, that's a big <laughs> thing. This is not just for you. No, no, I can't do it. So this individual that was very unreliable. Um, a producer wanted the um, a song recorded and mixed and I was kind of blown away where Tubby said, you don't want to mix. I seen him on a mix about one or two times, a few times, certainly not 10 times. Oh, no, go get this one. Go get Pat Kelly. Oh, no, I don't want to do it. So um, the, the, this, the singer was getting ready to go to leave town. So the producer was under pressure to get it done. So he reluctantly... Um, let me do it. And the damn song went number one. And after that, I never fixed the next television set. Right. Yeah. <laughs> How nervous were you? Were you nervous or did you feel, you know, sort of like a, a power to do it? I'm nervous. Well, anybody who was going to say at the first time they go and do something, they don't have some kind of a nervousness of it. Then they're not telling the truth. They're so, lying. Yeah. Yeah, you have to be. It's like if you've never driven a car on just 60 miles an hour, at the first time you do it, you're going to be kind of nervous. Yeah, yeah. Well, but it also seems like you had absorbed a lot of the knowledge around you, right? Because you were able to sit down and, and, and get it get it done. Um. Yes. By that time, after, you know, growing to the, the next Saturday shop, listening to what's going on and saw how Tubby's doing, then all the theories that we had in our head about delays, uh, how to build a delay unit, all of that coming through the same time, I hear him do it. Okay, that's what's being done. And that's what's being done. So I saw him do it a couple of times. Um, Already had the theory in our head. So by the time I got around to the studio, to try it, it was okay. So let's let's put all the theories to test now. Yeah, what was Tubby like to be around? What was his mood like most days? What was he like in conversation? Businessman, um, businessman, 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 one on one. Straight to straight to the point. Business, all business. Strictly business. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. But did you feel like, what sense did you get of what he thought of the work you were doing? He didn't, he's not a guy that says much. Um, after point, he basically stopped coming to the studio. And okay. I, yeah. I was basically running the studio because I was the first one there at morning and the last one at night. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So you were dedicated to it. Oh, yeah. Um, damn. Um, um, because, um, you know, after when I used to go back to my neighborhood, because I left a very decent neighborhood, Harborview, to go into one of the roughest neighborhood, um, dangerous neighborhood in Kingston every day. And, a lot of people, you know, kind of aristocratic Jamaicans used to believe that I was in some kind of a gang because I'm in this notorious waterhouse that they see in the news every day. But I was never in, in any gang. By the good thing I got that awakening. So by the time I got around there, I could see these guys involved in whatever they're involved in and know and not to get involved. So thank God I, I got that awakening before I got around there. Yeah, yeah, it's good that you had that, that you had that centering, even though you were around rough types still, you were focused on the music. Yeah, I was, that was my main focus. Okay, I know what y'all doing, I see what y'all been doing, but I, in the meantime, I don't want to know. It's none of my business. Yeah. And, um, my two pockets filled with money every day, and not one person ever bothered me, because one thing that I learned is mutual respect. Uh, mutual respect um, to, to everybody carries a very far away because I see people come around here um, because they don't have that mutual respect. They see people that they pass every day and can't even say hello to them, good day, good yeah. morning, 
believe that them better than them because they might come from a certain neighborhood and have a bit of shoes and whatever. I see those people get their ass kicked. <laughs> right, right. No, no one ever bothered me. Yeah, because you kept to yourself. You 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 were respectful well, yeah. to those around you, and then we were able to kind of just move yeah. through. Yeah, I'm not going to pass somebody that I pass every day. I just ignore them and walk straight. Right, right, right. And I have to get involved with what you're doing, but at least can say, hello, how are you doing? Have a good day. And just keep yeah. it moving. Yeah. When you, I'm curious, you know, we're talking about sort of when you first got started, but this this question applies to now and then, you know. When you sit down to start a dub, to start a project, I wonder, do you sort of hear it in your head before you start working, or is it the result of getting in there and messing around with the elements and trying different things? What's the ratio like? How much do you have sketched out in your head? Well, well first off, when people pay by the hour for studio time, and most of these people do have a lot of money, back in those times, right, you have some producer come to the studio and I want to mix five songs and they only book three hours studio time. So when you get in the levels of the song, you have to be learning it. You're mixing the ear side, you have to be learning it. And then when you come to the dub side, you already learn and know what to expect in the song. So, so um, that is when you do your thing. There is no time to sit down and learn and monkey monkey around. And none of that, because most of these people do have the funds to be paying for paying for all of that. That's why I don't understand when some people mix in songs, it take them a year, six months to a year to finish an album. I don't understand it. How long does it take you to finish an album usually, start to finish? Well, it depends on who I'm working with. Sure. Um, if it's all professional people, it could take up to two days. Yeah. Recording. <laughs> Doing vocal, doing overdub and mix it just depends on the person and the quality of the music. Yeah, yeah. Well, so as you get started there at Tubby's, when do you start imagining that infinite channel mixer that essentially now we have that digitally, right? I mean, when did you start imagining what the future of mixing and recording technology might look like? Was that something you were interested in right away? Um, I don't quite remember what is very short after because before I start mix, actually mixing the Iron Tubbies used to have all these wild ideas. I was talking to him about all these wild ideas, like Tubbies, Tubbies. Um, you could do, we could do it at the faders, could move, you know. You remember because if you remember those old time 50s and 60s radio where when you turn the dial, you see, you see a needle moving. To show you what if, what channel you on is the same exact thing that's inside of a moving fader. And I was saying, Tommy's what we could do this, we could do this just like how you see we um we have to string a dial string. I said, I kid look here, man, it's crazy. But it was it would be impossible back in them time there because we didn't have the um the the, the microprocessors to remember to remember with the peta position and we didn't have the H bridge. Um, ICs to drive the motors and so forth. Um, so back in those time, it's not like it was couldn't be possible, but the the computer would have to be big like big as a truck. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so kid, look here, man. Tell, listen to me. Please stop smoking that thing. What do you mean, moving fade? <laughs> oh yeah, tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> well, boy, I mean, now the the move the faders move uh, you can do so much there's so much possible with automation of and course. and infinite tracks like you said do you work you know what is your digital setup look like what do you do you work with digital audio stations or or do you have a specific program that you like to use well all the programs the thing with digital it's so precise that all the programs is that just a matter of task within the digital world? You're not gonna really find something sounding much better than the other. Like for example, right? 
in the analog console, you have like um, you have like a MCI versus a Neve or API, where yeah. the, 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 the API and the Neve going to sound better because you can you have a wider voltage swing across the up amp because with a with a with, with a Mackie or a MCI, a semi professional is like a, a, a 30, um, 30 volts power supply reel, 15 plus and 15 minus. Meanwhile, with a, with a Neve, um, you, you have like a what, 24 to a, times 24 or 48, 48 volts swing. Um, so it allows you to put more on the input before you reach distortion. Um, but nowadays with the digital because it's so precise, you hardly care, can't tell whether this was a sound craft and this was this one with digital and so forth. Is 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 they they are so close, right? Close, close, close. Now I personally don't um, want an analog console. It's a waste of time. Yeah, you think you think that it's it, it's a waste of time now because the digital is good enough and you can create anything you want using that stuff. Is that what you mean? Well, yeah, I can get the, I can get the same type of a sound. I can I know how to manipulate it. So right. I'm, a, I'm a big fan of digital. Is a future. It's not going anywhere. It's like um, when I hear people talking about analog consoles, like saying, "I want a car with carburetors." Well, they stop making cars with carburetors. Yeah, <laughs> it's all field injected now, where the computers control control the, the, the how the gas burn, how much air and so forth and so forth, when to advance, the timing and when to retard it and so forth. If the cold the car is cold, do this. If it reaches temperature, do this. So we're not going back in time. Right, right, right. But in the future, it's all going to get better as time goes by. That's true. That's true. But it is interesting that now people can use those digital tools to in some ways capture the sound that you helped create back then you know so it's like there's a a loop of nostalgia that plays into the digital thing too people still want it to sound warm and like those records that you were a part of you know what i mean yeah but uh, <laughs> that warm that warm disease is very catchy um <laughs> catchy and what <laughs> i did an experiment right two digital recording so we do what we, one of them we do what, what what happens to a tape machine because every tape machine has a built-in flaw of bow and flutter and if the head's not perfectly aligned or even a brand new tape machine out the box they it have certain flaws mechanical flaws like the bow and flutter and so forth that you could never get rid of so both of them is two digital recordings. So tape machines, it normally start to roll off to minus the high frequency, like and they start getting up into the 10k support. If the head's dirtier, the head's not properly aligned, they start to lose those high frequency. And it would so as a result, it sounds like it has more bass. So yeah. um, I did that to to a digital recording. Um, to take away all the the, the, the lost and, and you know kind of make it jitter because every tape machine have a slight jitter even though you're not hearing it. Yeah. So, so oh yes, that one is digital. See, it it definitely warmer. All right. So, no, both of them is digital. Look, it's just about <laughs> EQ. Yeah. So you were able to trick people. Yeah. Yeah. Trick people. Um, so. That whole warm thing is is, is rubbish. Is, is, is really rubbish. Putting your music up online is not always the easiest thing in the world to figure out, but DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and, as an artist, you keep 100% of your royalties and earnings. A million plus artists rely on DistroKid to get their music into Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, all the major streaming services. You can use it to 
edit your lyrics and your song credits. So important in the internet age to let people know the kind of people you're collaborating with. And uh, DistroKid makes that easy. You can also see all your stats from the streamers and, of course, add a credit card to purchase album extras. The DistroKid app is available now on iOS and Android. Go to the app or Play Store to download it. So I want to ask you a little bit about the move you made over to Channel One uh, from King Tubbies. You, for a while, you were kind of working at both places, right? Um, no. Um, there, there was no I, overlap. When I was at Tubbies, I was dibbling and dabbling between Tubbies and Channel One and Sarah mm. and Studio One. But oh, yeah, yeah. We're uh, able to find I, I, I. I, it was like on a football team. You have to kind of choose which team you want to play ball for. Sure. So, um, I did a few works at at Studio One, and then I quickly found out that you have to choose a team. And the reason why I choose Tubby is because I could have the best of both worlds, um, either electronic engineer and then recordings, um, doing, doing mixing. Tubby's had a limitation where could only do voice overdubs, horns overdub, but couldn't record a band. So after getting that knowledge at Tubby's, I wanted was to gain more knowledge and record a band. Even though I record a band at Studio One, I wanted more knowledge, broader knowledge, and more modern equipment of recording at, at the, the channel. Because most of the songs, there were most of them, 90 percent, the majority of them was recorded at Channel One and mixed at Tubbies. So okay. when I was getting the tapes at from Channel One, I kind of hear, okay, this is what I hear the drums sound like. Well, um, I understand what they're doing, and I know that this can be better. So I went down there, and of course, made things a lot better. And and once you were there, you know, you you cut a lot of classic records at that point. Um, is that is that when you were working with the Roots Radix? That's the live band you're talking about. Yeah, well, Roots Radix, High Time Players, Sly and Robbie, because that was the place that everybody goes to record. But yeah, Radix happened to be the most popular ones. Yeah, yeah, I think about all the people who were in your circles in those days. So many of my favorite artists, you know, Yabby Yu specifically, he's a fascinating artist. What was it like meeting and starting to work with him? What was your impression of him? Um, when I used to go to school, right, and I was coming off the bus, and I was to go downtown Kingston, to where I come off the bus to catch the bus to go to Harborview. I used to pass these guys every day on the street and didn't know because I wasn't in music. Um, when I used to go to Gaines at high school, I used to walk by Harborview Studio every day and had no idea it was a studio. So when I became an engineer, then yes, uh, uh, Yabby, you wow. But again, um, it's not a hype thing. Um, they, they, they hate it when you're a hype person and I don't like it myself. Yes, yeah, sir, I'm bowing, bowing, my, my Lord, and we'll just be a damn self, man, please. And that's what most of those guys are. They don't like too much praising. It's not a hype thing. So, But Yabi, you are a great talent. Um, Easy going as opposed to some of the people um, that when they rent the studio, it's just like, wow, so much ego. But Yabi, you've been been a good guy to work with. Nice. I've always found his stuff so interesting, and I and I find it interesting that he was kind of more on the Jesus side of things. That was something he was interested in. Did you ever talk about religion with him? Um, not much. Um, sure. Not much, but um, he was kind of like a spiritual guy to me also. Yeah, yeah. He was like a spiritual guide to you. Yes, yes. Because How so? I think I shared when I was growing up 
how I could have been easily be inducted in the wrong Hall of Fame. <laughs> right, right, uh, like you were talking about. Yeah, because, you know, when you're growing up and you, you think things are cool. Right, yeah, you just think, like, the, the, the you know, people who are fl- breaking the rules, who are sort of on the, on the margins, you think that's cool, yeah. Yeah, you might think that's cool, and then we'll talk, have certain conversation with him about, you know, and I would say, yeah, man, good thing, man, because look at this one, look at that one. You don't see all of them either end up dead or in prison. Yeah, man, don't, don't. When, when you come around here, don't go by that place because those guys been coming there way before me. And I started taking advice. Hey, man, that, that the one over there, um, just a higher and just keep it moving. Right. Well, so... After you're there working at Channel One for a while, it, you eventually you make your way over to Tough Gong, right? What yes. made what what prompted the move to that studio? And was the scene rougher there? As I understand it, there were a lot of people hanging around the studio that were, you know, maybe trouble. Is that accurate? No, um, no. Owned by Channel One, right? Is where the good, bad, and ugly come. They had a bunch of drive-by shooting. Then what I start to notice is like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. Um, I start to notice that certain musicians, they don't come down there. The musicians don't come down there after five. After five o'clock in the evening, it becomes a ghost town. And... I find myself staying there until three, four o'clock in the morning. And when I come out, you don't even see a dog on the street. Everybody scram. And then and I hearing about the drive-by shooting that happened there. People actually got shot. The type of people who just hang around the studio. After a while, I come to my sense and say, um, don't play Russian roulette with your life. Don't be the only one hanging out around here. So you're running studio till four o'clock in the morning. So, um, after leaving Channel One at evening time, I would stop off at Tough Gong. Um, when I leave early, so yeah, this young lady working up there, Daily Alliance, um, she always encouraging me. So I was there on the dear one day in the studio, and an engineer was there working. So I said, "Wow, they're using this console, and they really don't know about this." So I had a little smile to my to my face. So Willie Linda asked me, why are, why is why are you smiling like that? I know you. Something is up. What's up? What's up? I said, okay, Willie, here's what you do. Um, book a session, and one day I show you. <laughs> and I oh, showed, wow, yeah. So you- I, I showed everybody and they said, no hell, what? So they was all mixing, <laughs> mixing in monitor mode. <laughs> didn't oh. realize that the the console has two different more than several ways around it. So I, I went up there. So uh, oh, yeah, we like how the studio sound also because Channel One was the bad area. Daily, other people encouraged me. Um, after I finished recording Ziggy Marley album, stay up here, stay up here, stay, 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 stay. So I left out there, and then Channel One. Um, Jojo, the owner, was leaving one night and they put a gun to his head and that was the end of the studio. Oh, yeah. So you got out at the right time, unfortunately for him. I got out of your side. Yeah, I was moving at the right time. Yeah. Did you ever meet Bob Marley before he had passed? No, you know. No, no. I never got to meet, actually meet him. But I can tell you one thing, when I was up there working, it's like I feel his presence inside here. Sure, you could feel it there at Tough Gong. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious about some other sort of legends of the the music. I'm a big fan of Lee Scratch Perry. He's one of the most interesting musicians that I can think of. Uh, What were your interactions with him like? I know that the two of you had, there's some dubs, that you guys are both on. And then when you worked with Mad Professor, uh, there's the the record that 
Mad Professor meets scientists at the dub table features snippets of Lee. Uh, what was he like as a, as a as an artist in your experiences? Um, scratch, creative. Um, he puts on this image like he's a crazy man, but um, please don't underestimate. He's now way crazy. <laughs> very, very, very calculative, like cal- cal- um, <laughs> calculated. Yeah. Of what he's going to do. He dresses away to throw you off. Like, for example, um, Scratch was downtown. I don't know if you've ever been to Kingston, Jamaica, but he was downtown. He was downtown. And he dressed up like a crazy person. And this igloo that was selling on the sidewalk accused him of stealing some of our food that you were selling. So the police came and scratched had a banana, a bunch of banana on his head, just like a crazy man. So she was making this complaint. And then so the policeman started to search cracks. <laughs> so um, he had like about fifty thousand dollars on him, man. And oh my God! <laughs> what type of crazy man like this having fifty thousand dollars on him? So much money, money coming from everywhere. So it becomes not believable, and then everybody found it was Lee Sperry, and nobody didn't believe our story because usually people stealing food don't have so much money on them. Yeah, he really was like a a very it's, interesting character. Yeah, yeah. Well, you saw how how he lately dressed, very eccentric. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, something. Oh, go ahead. Feel free to say more if you have if you have very, more to share. Very calculated, and um, he he left his mark based on the records he produced. I think about how some of my favorite of his work and my favorite work of yours. You know, I don't know if people use the term psychedelic to you, you know, to describe the sounds that you were making. But yes. to me, dub is obviously one of the most psychedelic and surrealistic art well, forms, you know? Well, here's what I learned. Some of my biggest fans, they're into mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Um one fan say when they do mushrooms and they hear that reverb splash, that they even start calling it the mushroom, mushroom snare. <laughs> it's like they <laughs> imagine this big cloud of mushrooms going off and all these lights. So, yeah, uh, I get to find out it have that chemical reaction to certain people probably doing psychedelics. It is psychedelic, so I could only imagine and see why it would enhance their psychedelic experience more. Sure, sure. Was that, I mean, do you do you make musics, util, music utilizing psychedelics? Is that something you've experimented no, with? No, no, I never tried it. Just uh, just cannabis? Is that oh, the main, the main I, I, one or I, not even I, that anymore? I don't smoke anymore because here's what. There's nothing in nature every week you don't have a different type of monkey. Every week, you don't have a different type of mango, banana, or any kind of a fruit. But with these type of cannabis, this day is purple kush, this day is diesel. Like, where the hell like, did nature operate like that? Yeah, people are making too many custom blends and all of that stuff is what you're saying. Engineering it. Yes, and then... Um, Wow, um, I don't remember growing up smoking and I have that type of a feeling. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I decided, you know what, there have to be something wrong with this. Sure. So, so uh, I, I don't smoke anymore. Well, I'm curious, after you were there at Tough Gong in Jamaica, you eventually decided that you were going to move to the United States. And you ended up in, was it Washington, D.C. first? Oh, yeah, I was trying to be a politician. I ended up in I ended up in Washington DC. Um Did you have family there? Yes. I, I was supposed to come to America when I was five years old with my other two sisters and I came what almost thirty years later. Sure. Sure. Yeah. 
have a huge American family there. Would take probably four city blocks up to hold all of them. Yeah. Wow. So you moved. You moved to uh, Washington D.C. in the was it the mid eighties? Yeah, eighty five somewhere in that. Um, Silver in Silver Spring. You know, I was thinking about how. And I'm sure this was music that you heard before you moved to America, but I was thinking about how electronic music and rap and hip hop and post punk for that matter, just punk even, so much of that music is informed by dub and what you guys were doing. When you first started hearing rap music, for example, um, did you feel like there was a connective tissue between that production style and dub? Did you recognize that when you started hearing those things? Yes. Uh, make no mistake. Um, dub is the first electronic music. Right. Um, um, rap music been influence of dancehall with you, Roy, and people of that time. And there are several documentaries online that spoke about these first, I think it was with LL Cool J, I forget which artist they said, American artist that brought it to the Bronx, and from that it became history. Yeah, yeah. Dub is really, I mean, you know, when we talk about remix culture, when we talk about electronic music, all of that, Dub is the is the forefather. It, it came, yeah, it came, uh, make no mistake, you know. Yeah. Uh, reggae is the hardest genre to deal with um, because I mix just about everything but reggae nowadays. Um, <laughs> That's uh, true. You do st- you've done stuff for Krungbin and uh, Sublime. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, you're all over the map when it comes to what you'll mix these days. Yeah, uh, but the mistake that people want to make that they underestimate and put reggae and dub is in a different, a lower category. So when I listen to some of these major artists, I remember when I was learning, okay, the reason why the snare or the drum sound like that. I remember that stage of my career when I was learning, I didn't really know how to get the proper sound. And even when I was learning, right, we had tighter, bigger drum and bass than that. So when I hear so here, when I hear some of these recordings, I okay, so this is what they're not doing right. So when I apply, I make no other mistake. If you can play reggae. Music that it makes it whatever t- other genre you go back to play, you're gonna be just better at it. Yeah. And um, so, um, I've been doing other things. I've been implementing all the technology that I develop in reggae, um, reggae, because I I was the innovative brain behind how to get the type of sound that you hear, like that's coming from Channel One, and it's a study. Yeah, I make I record a band and go home. Like for example, Fred McGregor, Big Ship. I would record a band, and when I go home, well, okay, um, the you know, you are getting the snare too much because when the drummer roll, um, that's how it, that's how it sounds because it had too much git, had too much this. Um, now you're recording this too loud and so forth, so forth, so forth. So it became a study, and then. So I was criticizing myself. So when I hear what some of it is like on other genres, then I can make an objective criticism why it sounds like that. But um, if someone don't know what the difference is and they can't imagine what the difference is, then they're going to think it's normal. Right, right, right. But that process of refining what you do that's something that you've just sort of been working at over your entire career, right? Um, yes. Um, like, um, for, for one of the things is I've been encouraging all the musicians not to use guitar amplifiers. No amps. 
no ambiance there. There's nothing special. I hear the same garbage, but it's you get special tones and all that nonsense. You don't get no damn special tone. It's the same type of circuitry we were using. Mar was building those amplifier instead of two KT eighty eight. Would have probably eight or more up to sixteen KT instead of two. The same preamp, the same bass and treble that's inside of your component, um, your stereo equipment. The same thing, same, same thing. No, nothing different. So uh, you're telling people to plug directly in, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've proven it over and over and over. And you can have a stage live recording just as good as a. CD recording, but the the musicians and the way of it, they've been trained over decades. They have to break out their certain practices, and I firmly endorse in-ear monitors. For example, uh, way before in-ear monitors was available, I remember when I was trying to get bands to use headphones and stage, and everybody laughed at me. Yeah, and now you see John Mayer with the Grateful Dead, and he's got headphones on. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Yeah, so I've been the person I always imagine all these things and everybody um, laughing, but it's for the same reason that I identify with what happens with the monitors, how it just throw the kind of biggest enemy in a, when you have a bunch of microphones on stage is the bleed. From sure. Monitor the ambient night, and that's what happens when you have a bunch of monitors on stage. Well, I'm looking. Yeah, I know what you mean. the The bleed ends up, it gets into everything, obviously. But you're saying now that people can go direct in and have in ear monitors, That's all of that is eliminated. How is that eliminated? No, all of the extra sound that you want the, to avoid the, is eliminated. The, the, the bleed, because if um, the bleed, for example, that's coming from the whatever monitor, then it starts to get back inside the the vocal monitors, then um, then it starts to get inside up the drum mics, picking it up, and pretty much anything that have mics, it start picking it start picking picking it up. So, yeah. So once you get rid of the bleed, which is the number one enemy, then you leave with a cleaner recording. Sure, sure. But, but here's what happens. For example. You have a microphone, say you have an ex focal microphone, and then the drum bleed, the snare bleed from the drum monitor is getting into the vocal monitor first. So say or, say you want to turn up a particular frequency that the snare drum resides in, and you want to turn up that frequency to get out more clarity out of the vocal, then what ends up happening, because the snare bleed ends up inside the drum mic, inside the vocal mic so whatever frequency that that snare resides in when you boost that you're also boosting the snare and making the snare out of proportion and then yeah. the slight time delay even though it's in millisecond it's causing you to have a slight flam so that's just one example why not to use monitors and why in-ear is is better yeah well right now you had already mentioned, you said, get rid of the guitar amplifiers. I'm looking at my guitar amp right now. I feel like it's sad to hear. It's sad hearing you say what you're saying, but I, I am interested in it. <laughs> um, well, I've proven it before. Um, it's so much problem, especially especially if if they're putting a microphone on it. Right. Well, because, sure, sure. Because the problem is, okay, you have a microphone on the guitar amplifier. Okay, so you're going if you're going by acoustical volume without any electrification, well, the snare is a very loud acoustic, put out a very loud acoustic energy. A trumpet put out a very loud acoustic energy. So all of that bleed, that ambient noise is getting inside of your guitar amplifier. So you might find an ambient noise might be at 500 hertz. Now you have certain strings on your guitar that resides in the 500 or three and so if you're yeah. like a, a pick guitar or a lead guitar that require boost on that on that frequency then you find you'll be bringing up all the ambient noise and all the dirt that resides in that frequency which 
makes you not get a better guitar. That's just the maths of it. But uh, it's been brainwashed. A guitar amplifier is a billion-dollar industry. Sure, sure. I've so, been brainwashed by him. I agree. <laughs> yeah, so... And then that's for people who don't know how to EQ, believe in <laughs> some magical tone. Because here's why it's nonsense. Yeah. A guitar amplifier basically have a first order filter. You can only cut and boost no more than plus and minus six as at a shelf. Right? Right. Versus a full parametric EQ, especially with the overlapping EQ where you can go down plus and boost minus 48. All right. right. So you already see what the comparisons are. Yeah. So, so that's why it's nonsense about special tones and all that. It's foolishness. I get the same exact tones. That's why they call you scientist. <laughs> it's clear. Uh, <laughs> you know, what a lot of people at first with me, a lot of people criticize. Sure. And then 30 years later, they catch on. Well, this is what I was talking about. Yeah. Well, it's been really great getting a chance to speak with you about this stuff. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask, you know, any chance that I, I suspect that somebody on this podcast might have something interesting to say about aliens, I ask them. And I was listening to the your recent album with Plex Dub, which is called Angels, and it features a rework of I Love the Aliens. I wanted to ask you, you know, aliens are in the news to some degree. Uh, is that a topic that you're interested in? Um, yes, here's what I believe. I haven't seen any, I've met any, but I believe that we have been programmed and it would be very naive of all of us to think that we are the only creatures that in uh, that's, that live in this world. And then if you're going back to the time of Enoch and the Nebulans, there have been also talk of beings. Right, giants yeah. and things like that. Yeah, that came from outer space. So, for all I know, Earth is on the dwindling downstage. They have find, found many giant bones. Um, we don't even know what's going on totally in the, at the bottom of the ocean, <laughs> much yeah. less at what goes on outside. So, I hope and I think and I wish that one day you have some aliens come down to mankind and finish all this chaos. Stop. Yeah, help, help us out. <laughs> yeah, help us out, please, because <laughs> Earth right now is not in a good position. Um, that's right. That's right. We're killing off the planets. They, 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 yeah. they, we're, killing, we're killing the planet. Um, we're poisoning the water. Um, people living like cats and dogs. Um, my politics is better than your politics. I have the better bomb. We're spending all this money. Oh, well, we send $20 billion over there. And, we, and that we're going off over 50 years or more. And then the amount of money that's spent on all these senseless wars could have paid off everybody mortgage in America. How about just saying, you know what? Today is going to be American giveaway month. So we could just randomly find each person in America. If it's even $200,000, each person just get randomly. Yeah. So start yeah. to business. They um, could do it, it. That would be a better use of the money. That's uh, for sure. Uh, of course. But again, my bomb is better than your bomb. I have to be better than you. I want to be the dominant one. We rules. And it's just the ego of, of men. Yeah. And then yeah. His life is so short, even when he lived to 100 years old. That's just a blink. So what all this fuss and fight? You can't carry your skyscrapers with you in the box. That's true. That's true. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and to share so many interesting ideas and to talk about this music that has been so meaningful and enjoyable to me um, over the years. Thank you so much for taking this time to speak with me about everything. It was really a pleasure. Thank you. And everybody out there, um, pray for peace in the world. Um, we, we really need it because we are on a college and course we have enough time to try to set it right. So the biggest thing that everybody have to respect and do out there is mutual respect to everyone. We need the police. We need the street cleaners. We need everybody to just cooperate and put all these differences behind us and don't dig up any buried hatchets 
and just try to fix the earthly problems and live in peace in this short space of time. Yeah, nicely said. Thank you so much for your time and uh, congrats on all the great work. And hopefully we'll get a chance to speak again next time I'm out in L.A. or something like that. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. I'm Jason P. Woodbury. I produce, write and host the show. Transmissions is edited by Andrew Horton, and our music comes from Frank Maston, drawn from his incredible discography of gorgeous library music. You can find more of it by visiting Maston at Bandcamp. Art for this episode was created by Ian Everett, and our executive producer is Justin Gage, Aquarium Drunkard's founder. Don't miss his weekly radio program every Wednesday, The Aquarium Drunkard Show on Sirius XMU, Channel 35 at 7 p.m. Pacific Time. Aquarium Drunkard is powered by its Patreon supporters, so check out the Patreon if you want to chip in. If you're looking for another way to support the show, you can leave a rating or review wherever you listen. That helps folks find it. But I would much prefer you just send an episode of the show directly to a friend who you think would dig it. I care a lot less about the ratings than I do organic peer-to-peer passing along. So if an episode speaks to you and you think you have a friend who would also like it please do send them that episode transmissions is part of the talkhouse podcast network and you can visit the talkhouse for more interviews fascinating reads and podcasts we'll be back next wednesday with another episode i'm really really excited to welcome letitia sadir of stereo lab to transmissions Uh, We had an incredible talk, and I really, really enjoyed getting the chance to spend time with her. I think you will as well. So I hope you will come back and join us. Thanks for listening to Aquarium Drunkard Transmissions. This transmission is concluded.